the New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Guerrilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast, a special episode this week coming to you uh, right now from uh, Shenzhen in China. Now I have uh, two special guests with me, Tristram Clayton and Scott Bartley. Now Tristram, maybe we can start with you and you can give us a little bit of an intro for those that don't know. Most people will probably uh, recognise your voice and and, uh, know who you are, but uh, just a reminder of where you fit into this world of of media and journalism in New Zealand. Well, that's right. Probably unlikely to know me in this capacity. Uh, Talking about tech issues, um, I'm a reporter um, now with NZ Herald Focus, so we're we're the video news side of the Herald. But I um, worked for quite some time um, at TV3, mainly on Campbell Live. Um, but yeah, this, at the moment, I'm, uh, I'm di- dived into the world of tech here in China. Fascinating couple of days. It has been. And Scott, where do you fit in? Well, I've been kicking around the tech media scene for about 16, 17 years. Started off um, writing video game reviews for PC Zone magazine in the UK and then ended up at PC World at IDG. Some people may know who that is if they're dedicated tech geeks. But um, since those days ended, back in 2010, I've been freelancing, basically. I, I spent a bit of time in PR and corporate relations, but I'm over that now. And now I freelance and spend most of my days writing gadget reviews for uh, the MBR. That's why I'm here. Cool. All right, well, let's, uh, let's, let's jump in and, and chat through... Uh, some of the highlights. Um, Tristram, maybe we can start with with you. Now, we're on this sort of me- media uh, trip that uh, Huawei have uh, organised, and these things are, I guess, fairly, fairly common for media, uh, and then the hangers-on like, like me that uh, you know don't quite fit into uh, the conventional media world to, to get invited on to... Uh, you know, I guess for varying companies and, and brands to uh, tell a little bit of the behind-the-scenes stories about what they're up to. What was your knowledge about Huawei before uh, coming? Because this is a brand that, uh, yeah, even for those in the tech world, most of us haven't had too much exposure to uh, to them up up until really the last few years. Uh, very limited, to be fair. I mean, I think there's just those vague notions, the the Scarlett Johansson ad, I think that sort of entered the consciousness then. Um, you know, I see the name floating about, but really, because I've just been, I just been assigned an app, I didn't even have to research my own phone because it's always been given to me through work. So that takes that whole research aspect out of the equation. I haven't had to research it, therefore I don't really care. I've just, just been given it and that's out. I've always had an Apple. Haven't really need to delve into or analyse them. Unlike you guys, it's not my job to really go that deep either. So really on the periphery um, for yeah, maybe a couple of years ago it would have entered the consciousness, but really very and very um, sort of nebulous kind of way to be fair. Um, so yeah, big wake up call now and after three days being immersed in it, it's hard to remember back to three days prior when really I, I didn't know the first thing about this company now I'm right up to speed as we'll no doubt talk about yeah good and I mean Scott you've had a fair bit of exposure being involved in the in the tech world and you've been uh, involved in events from uh, Huawei in the past right yeah yeah and uh, don't feel bad Tristram I, <laughs> I, I was, I've been immersed in this tech world for, for many years and, and I really hadn't heard of them much until Three years ago, I guess, with the launch of the P8, that was the first time I'd heard of them. So, yeah, yeah, I was looking back on uh, my Instagram, and I'm not somebody that insta that or grams a lot, um, but my very first post was four and a half years ago, and it was new handset from Huawei and uh, uh, Nick, who who was uh, you know, involved pretty heavily on the sort of PR, the corporate side. Uh, was was um, I guess taking some responsibility at that stage for these new consumer products in terms of handsets that were coming out, and he I think raced it across to the office uh, just before a, uh, a podcast, and so I'd, I'd taken a photo of that because it actually looked pretty. Yeah, you, you were quite impressed at, even back at, then. At, at the time, it's like oh, they're, you know, they're, they're they're doing something all right here from a, a design perspective, um, but. 
there's been been a fair bit of progress over the uh, over the last you know four and a half years since then, and I think it's certainly a brand that's much more uh, much more well known now. Over the last uh, over the last two or three days, though, there's there's been lots of facts and figures sort of you know bandied around, and I guess Trisha, I'm curious, sort of out of those out of those things, what what surprised you? The most, what sort of jumped out at you, and and really left you thinking, well, where, you know, where have I been? Why didn't I know this uh, before? Because there, there's, there seems to be something there about Huawei. They're they're not just one of uh, you know I know ten other or twenty other um, small smartphone manufacturers, right? They're, um, well, I, I think the answer that, I think, I think if you guys have kind of already answered that question. If you guys in the tech world hadn't heard of it, heard of it the, the company, three or four years ago, no one in the world had. This this is what's really struck me. Forget about the numbers. I mean, they've got a couple here. I mean, it's a it's a 78 billion US dollar revenue a year, of which they spend $4.5 billion each year on R&D. That's fascinating. Now, we'll probably talk about that a little more, but the, the R&D side and the ethos the philosophy, the, the way this company is very different from most tech companies around the world and very different to most Chinese companies. I mean, this is a one-of-a-kind company and that, that's what I hopefully will talk about because that's what I find fascinating even more so um, than the numbers. But yeah, this is a company that's come out of nowhere. And um, they, they're thinking big. They're the third to biggest in the world now, right? And they want to be the biggest. And at this rate, you'd, you'd always give them odds on bet that they, they will make it. There, there's something different. I mean, obviously, I've drunk the cool abs up in the midst in the, in the company the last three days. But clearly, the, the way they run things, they've got a, a real philosophy, an incredible corporate culture. Um, and you know, tech side, they're going gangbusters. So clearly, they are doing big things. And um, watch out. Watch the space. Yeah, I mean that's certainly certainly the way that their storytelling comes across, and you know the people that we've met, I, I guess, are very much uh, within the sections of the of the business where it's uh, it's it's a key part of their role to be telling telling good stories, right? So we we haven't uh, gone out and well, we did actually get on the factory floor uh, today, um, so there, there is probably a little bit of a different aspect. Um, although the person that we met there, their their job is is being an ambassador for the for the company, but we certainly heard. Um, I think, you know, for me anyway, a different sort of perspective on Huawei than what I'd heard before, which was, you know, usually around price points and, you know, why their phones should be con- considered. And in and, and these last couple of days, we've, we've heard a sort of a, a broader picture. How about for you, Scott? We're, you know, you ca- have you come away from these, these last uh, few days with a, a different perspective at all? Well, um, I've kind of... Watched them grow. That sounds a little cheesy, but since since that first time I saw their phone, their P8 phone, those those few years ago, um, I think I wrote in my review of that phone that you know they they had all the ingredients there to to, to rival these other companies, the Samsungs, Apple, but it was just the the lining up everything else that goes with it, which is getting their brand in order, getting their reputation sorted, and then. Once those two things come together, you know, the, the quality of the products with uh, the, the brand recognition, well, then you've got a really good recipe for a, a winning company. And now that we're three or four years down the track from those days, it, that sure enough has been unfolding right in front of us. And we, the, the phone that was released uh, a couple of weeks ago, the, the Mate 10 and the Mate 10 Pro, that... That looks amazing. It's the, the design-wise, it, it's up there with Samsung and Apple. And in terms of the quality of the product itself, again, it's right up there. And now they're kind of to coin a horrible cliche. They're, they're walking the talk, and so um, you know, it's it's coming together. So I, I, I'm I'm really quite impressed with how they've followed that that plan that they kind of laid out for themselves a few years back. And it's it's highly impressive watching this powerful Chinese company, well funded, pull all this together, and all of a sudden they find themselves up there in the in the third place spot behind those other two big players. It's it's really impressive. Yeah, I guess when when I look back, um, there was. Uh, 
was sort of a, uh, I guess, come you know, coming into interactions with Huawei early on, it was like oh, Chinese company. Well, all the Chinese can really do is is kind of well, they make the phones for the other people. It's all the other you know companies. It's the uh, Samsungs and and Apple and so on who who really innovate in that space. So um, yeah, you know. Can't expect them to go too far, but look, you know, good on them for uh, for, for trying to get that budget segment and 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 the cut price phones. But it seems from the bits and pieces of of what's been shared is that their ambitions for some time have been much more than than to be a, you know a smaller brand that just copies. Uh, the, the Koreans and, and the Americans that seems uh, seems really clear and in terms of their market share actually they've uh, they've actually been achieving the, the results and uh, you know I think it was just a few months ago they actually nudged out Apple for a little while you know, in between new new releases from from Apple although putting that in perspective this is sort of market share of number of phones sold and of course you know they're selling from very low cost phones up to uh, you know the higher price handsets, and with their their uh, Porsche design sort of partnership, they've got something that sits up there. Actually, uh, as we talked about on the podcast, uh, probably a couple of weeks ago, uh, around how they're actually a- edging out Apple with the sort of top price point uh, on a on a smartphone. But it, it's um, it's it is some very impressive growth. They seem to be very strong here in China. Um, but getting back to that that original thing of. Uh, you know, Chinese company and how well can can they do? They they are now that that Chinese brand that everyone knows about, and there aren't really too many brands that uh, that probably come to mind when you think of oh, what's what's that Chinese brand that we really know well? And I, and um, I think this is what's so interesting about this company. I think you made the point at the beginning there that you know a lot of the Western world, um, certainly m- myself now, I, I see in quite a naive way saw China as yeah the powerhouse, but as the powerhouse uh, because of its uh, wealth accumulated by being the the workshop of the world. And, and if you think about it, that that's a quite um, condescending sort of um, way of looking at it now. I realise because when you're a workshop, you're, you're just built. You're getting the designs, the, the design features, the instructions from overseas, and you're just building it at a, at a, at a cheap price is the way it's traditionally been seen. The, the four days we've had here, so two days in Shanghai, this is a city of 25 million people at least. This is a this is a global world modern city by any measure. Uh, look at the cleanliness of the streets, the gardens, the obviously the incredible size of the buildings, the wealth of the people, the the, the flashness of the cars, and the, the and, and then you analyse the prices, and every price is a Western price. China is not a well, at least these two cities are not cheap um, cities. Um, Shenzhen here, much the same description. I, I think it's fair to say. So you've got to realise this this perception, which I had, I, I freely admit it, of this being the the workshop of you know, the China's competitive advantage was simply labour costs and, 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 and scales of efficiency. That is, at least in these two provinces, outdated. It, the, the wages here are comparable to anywhere in Europe and certainly at least as high in New Zealand. They, these are wealthy people, a wealthy first world people. They don't make their, their competitive advantages no longer cheap wages on the whole. Their wages here are the, the same as what, we, what we're getting. It's certainly in, 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 some, in some areas and accommodation and so on. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think the piece of China, China that I, I've seen, I hadn't been to Shanghai before, uh, you know, visiting and, you know, I think you know, we, we went up what's the second tallest building in the world. Um, I mean, and the yeah. fourth tallest building in the world here in Shenzhen. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, it was definitely a different view, and I've seen, you know, I guess other, another side of of China, and that would that would have been uh, seven seven years ago, and, and yeah, certainly got to see other aspects, but the pace at which their economy has been has been growing, even over over that uh, time, is. Is really clear, although I can't give a, a fair comparison because I'm not going to, uh, you know, the, the, the same, the, the same places. I've been to Shenzhen before, but uh, you know, not not in into the city uh, as to to where we are now. But certainly, hearing about wages and living costs and so on uh, with within the the 
the the mega cities, which is what the what these are. These you know greater than ten million people in a city. They they are, they truly are mega cities. Uh, it it really is a whole different world, and certainly my perspectives on on. Uh, on trying to go away with a, di- a different view, I'd like yeah. to have some more time to and have a, a look much, around and more and much broadly. The way you see the economic evolution, um, be it South Korea, Japan, or Taiwan, through the seventies and eighties, clearly the at least these provinces, these wealthy provinces, we're seeing it now, they've moved beyond the competitive advantage you get from low wage costs because their wage costs are the same in the West, Western world now. So now they are having to innovate, and that's not something we associate, or perhaps naively, and I don't mean that in a rude way, um, with China, but clearly this company is all about moving from that the world's the, the world's workshop to the world's innovator and they are doing it and it's working so this, this company certainly at the forefront of what presumably will be a, a, a number of Chinese companies we will hear about much the way we associate China, uh, Japan and, and South Korea with wonderful innovation and, and high-tech design and clean lines and style which I remember from my you know, growing up in the 70s and 80s that wasn't the case. Jap crap. The, 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 the cars in those days were low quality but they moved through that and clearly now they're the highest quality cars around on a match with the, the, the cliche of the Germans. So I think what's become very clear to me is China is following, despite its massive population, it is following that same economic development path and, in fact, are very far along it now. So the old cliches of just these huge warehouses with, you know, manual labour keeping prices down, I think that's pretty much outdated and I think we've really got to change our perception. I think Huawei represents, it's a very clear example of that that change. Now... We did go into uh, manufacturing location uh, today. Uh, it's about uh, you know about an hour out of uh, Shenzhen, and it was quite it was quite fascinating to me going through the manufacturing uh, facility. And yeah, you know, we we got access to a very small part, but we were able to go along the production line of uh, Huawei uh, P10. Uh, smartphone, which is you know, it's in in the sch- in the scheme of things, it's uh, uh, it's a pretty capable smartphone. Uh, but it was just really interesting to see the manufacturing process from start to finish. It, I guess it's a little bit like what you know what it what it would have been for uh, uh, you know someone in in well, you know, decades gone by to, uh, you know, visit uh, Henry Ford's sort of factory and see, you know, how, how the car production was done. And it's not something that you normally get to do. So it felt like, oh, we're, we're kind of privileged, kind of lucky here to, to get to see it. Um, but there were some, some numbers and some figures sort of uh, bandied around that, that were curious, and we'll dive into those shortly. Um, Scott, I'm keen to hear your sort of, View having having seen the the manufacturing side of things because uh, this is the area of China that we are so familiar with from the outside. We 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 hear about you know, problems in factories and and you know we know that Apple and Samsung and so many other companies are getting their production done here. Now we've got you know right you know right there right down onto that floor and have and have and have seen it. What are your thoughts on it? Well, I can only go on what I saw today, and that was um, it was more it was less of the you know the dreadful stuff that came out in the news a few years ago and about the treatment of workers in these in these places. It was more like a uh, an American Silicon Valley style campus. You know, it was it was it was well tended. Loads of people around. Most of them seemed to be fairly happy workers. They, there was on the on the walls of this factory. You know, it's a it's a big. It's it was it was like getting into a bank vault. You know, we had to go through all sorts of security to get in there. We had to empty our pockets. We had to take our wedding rings off and and walk back and forth through sensors. But when we got in there, and you, you had to look around, and amongst this incredible high tech environment. Um, on the walls, I've got you know the the staff do's on the <laughs> photos from their Christmas parties and what have you, and sporting events, and it just it really came across as a, a I don't know, I don't know, mate. This is just 
what I saw, but it came across as a, as a good, happy place to work. For. And that kind of goes against what of the, the perception that I and probably a lot of other people carry about Chinese factories and, and how the, the people that produce our phones are, are treated. Which I guess sort of brings us to the you know what sort of company is is Huawei and uh, yeah Trisha you wanted you wanted to sort of share some thoughts on on what you gathered there and at the beginning you were saying oh this this is actually really you know quite a unique company and that that was certainly what was por- portrayed to us uh, in terms of the founding of, of Shenzhen, which is now very much considered sort of the Silicon Valley uh, of China, certainly from, uh, you know, I guess Silicon Valley itself uh, these days is very heavily focused on software. Um, Shenzhen, we're, we're mostly, and, and uh, you know, within... Um, Asia, I guess, as well. When you know, you look look across at Taiwan as well. Um, you know, big focus on hardware more than more than the the, the software side. Uh, but we saw that uh, we saw a picture of Shenzhen around the time uh, when it when its uh, founder and and uh, now uh, president uh, Mr. Ren had sort of you know started the company three and a half thousand dollars sort of US was. Uh, was the capital that he had to uh, to to launch you know this little firm and I mean for me i hadn 't you know hadn 't heard any of that that story and hadn 't heard uh, any of the aspects that sort of make the company special. What were the things that um, st- stuck in your your mind because we 've heard lots of stories and and uh, you know heard varying aspects of, about the business but it um, certainly is portrayed in a way that sort of sounds like a pretty cool company, right? Yeah, I mean, two or, two or three points um, on that question. As we were saying, I mean, the campus itself is pretty spectacular. Um, so this is, you know, you're driving off the main road or you drive off one road onto another main road. It's three, I'm not sure if you guys know, it's three lanes each way. So this is effectively the... The headquarters, the factory and headquarters, and R and D and admin, and it must take up what I guess nine huge city blocks. Big road, full, fully, you know, three lane each way roads right through the middle of it. A lot of space, a lot of greenery, a lot of trees, and then in one part where we went, obviously, this is extraordinary visions of you. It's almost like the shadow of Versailles in Paris. I mean, you've, I mean, the planting, the lakes. I mean, it's, it's quite beautiful, and some of the buildings were amazing. I mean, obviously, that that's probably mainly for their guests, but you know, as, as we were saying, and even in the employee parts, I mean, the, the canteen situation, forty thousand people living and working on this campus is the there's the Huawei University. Um, there's canteens. There's I think in the in the new a new site they're building. There's going to be their own train. This is big, big scale, quite impressive. And you know, as as, as we said, very happy looking workforce. And that part obviously is primarily R and D. But then to be fair, you go up to the um, the production side, and uh, you know the workers are doing their thing. A couple of things that struck me there: twenty eight people per production line, right? Compared to where the Apple products are made. 250. So a heavy investment in robotics um, for a bunch of reasons. Um, not necessarily cost. I mean, apparently it's cheaper, more cost effective to have human workers than buying these um, very expensive robots. But for the precision, for the quality they wanted, um, that they decided to invest in robotics. And yeah, 28 person people per production line compared to 250 for Apple. That, that, that stood out for me. I'm not sure what you guys have made it. That was pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Um, I guess I, you know, always sort of, I think through to try and, well, well, why why is this the case? And they said, you know, what they've set up in terms of manufacturing, they're only doing a, uh, you know, maybe a tenth of their their, their total uh, total production themselves. So they're farming it out to the Foxconns and and so on, like the other other uh, you know vendors are. Um, but this allows them to certainly you know show off just the very best of what they can do and whether the other manufacturers will will do things exactly the same or not um you know we we don't know that that reality and uh, look you know they're farming things out to uh, to businesses that have um you know haven't always had the best track record as well so you know i think um 
I would love to be able to dig a bit deeper and yeah. to you know un- understand the, the, a, those, those things a little bit more. We might um, be caught up a bit the, of the, the PR there. That yeah, point. I mean, and, and the numbers that are being being shared. Are, um, you know, we didn't have somebody from Apple uh, saying, "Well, this is how many people." Are, you know, we, we we're getting a particular um, view on it, but. Yeah, I I agree. It was it was yeah it was quite fascinating to hear that. But the other piece is is you know if you're if you're starting something from uh, from scratch and you know I guess they've been making phones for some time because they've made phones uh, prior you know for varying brands whether it had a Vodafone label or you know whatever uh, branding before they started launching handsets under the Huawei brand so you know it's it's fair to say they've been doing it for more than just these last sort of five years that we've been uh, hearing about their their brand um, but I imagine in that case where you're setting up a factory to, to show off um, yeah you might try some new things and look Yes, it might be right now. Might be you know maybe a little bit more expensive to use robotics to to do some of these jobs, but as the earnings go go up and up, um, that equation I imagine is going to change sooner rather than later. And yeah, uh, yeah, I imagine there's some other aspects to that equation. I guess was was my my thinking on it. I totally agree. Just the, the third point I was going to mention, uh, I think it ties in with your question, just about that general feeling we got during that incredibly impressive campus and looking in the eyes and the faces of, of those 40,000 workers there, but I think globally there's 180,000. This is a big company. But the other thing, of course, which we, we shouldn't, we can't not mention is the fact that 99% of the company is owned by those employees. This is a private company, but it's not a listed company. In other words, it's privately owned, but it's owned to 99% by the employees. The last 1% is Mr. Wren, the president, as you mentioned, who set it up. So an extraordinary um, ownership structure, and obviously there are potentially implications there as to the motivation of the workforce, how how invested you are in your job, and and again, not wanting to get too sort of philosophical and looking too much into history, but it does remind me of all those books uh, in the late 80s about the the Japanese economic miracle and all the the American companies that were learning, uh, taking up various, uh, you know, Japanese uh, martial arts and uh, meditations and ways of doing things, and they're, they're copying the Japanese because at that time they were the they were the miracle economy, and um, and they were dominating the world. Don't mean to jinx uh, Huawei or the or the um, Chinese economy. It was obviously just shortly after all those books came out. That's when Japan sort of fell apart and hasn't really grown since. But I think the I think the analogy is fair that they are trying to do things differently. Do, trying to do things intelligently. I love the idea of um, employee owner. Just personally, that's something that yeah, um, sits well with me. The 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 ninety nine percent of the the company owned by employees. Another small thing, uh, and God knows in reality what it means. But you know, the rotating CEOs uh, every six months, much like the Swans as they head south, um, they take turns at leading when one gets tired. Um, the you they have a, a panel yeah. of rotating CEOs um, on the. Uh, at the top of the company. I thought that was fascinating to a degree. So clearly they are trying to think new things. They are, they've got their heart in the right place. They really are pushing this one big time. And boy, they want to be number one in the world and you, you wouldn't bet against it, would you? Well, I, you know, I think for those of us that were, that were sitting in the room hearing these stories today, it was, uh, it was actually pretty hard to... Yeah, to think that they won't achieve that goal of sort of becoming the manufacturer that uh, ships the most uh, smartphones in the world at some stage over the you know the the next uh, yeah few few years ahead. That was that was certainly how how I felt. Um, yeah, maybe I was uh, just sold to very well. But when you look at when you look at their growth curves, that were were just you know nuts in terms of. You know, going from um, you know a very very slim base of customers, uh, you know, buying Huawei branded devices, yeah, four or five years ago, uh, to where they are now, uh, you know, sitting around shipping about the you know the 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 third uh, after Samsung and Apple. 
look, I don't see the market share of Samsung or Apple growing at any, uh, you know, massive uh, clip, but it certainly seems as though, uh, yeah, Huawei will, uh, will will keep moving. Did, did were you left with the same impression, um, Scott, or, or are you a little bit more, um, you know, have a, have another perspective? I, I've, I've got to agree with that. Um, I think uh, one of us mentioned, I think it might have been you the other day in the car, about how ever since the Beijing Olympics happened, the, the country's kind of sprung to life internationally. And I think that kind of shines through in, in what Huawei is doing, uh, just the, the maturity of their products and their, their branding at the moment. Um, it it kind of all, it all fits together with this kind of sense of, I don't know about you guys, but I get a sense that the Chinese are incredibly proud of what they're doing with their country, and they're always keen to show it off to the rest of the world to say, hey, look, we're, we've been this developing nation for, for so long now, but look at us now. And it's hard to deny that when you're driving through these streets in Shanghai and Shenzhen, and there's all these gleaming towers lit up. It's, you know, it's, it's just... Everything seems to be pointing to in that direction for this country. Even to, to get a little off track, you know, the the Paris climate talks. You know, the, the U.S. has pulled out of that. China's taken a lead on it, and uh, that's. I think that's kind of the attitude that this that everything uh, this country is doing at the moment is is without wanting to sound like a cheerleader for China. I think that's just. I think that's just how it's heading at the moment, and I think they they can see that themselves, and they're really keen to push ahead with that. And Huawei is just one example of of that in action, and we see it because it's phones and it's in our pockets and it's everywhere we go these days. And you know they they're making some some really nice ones, so of course they're gonna they're gonna push ahead with this. I think there 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 are other aspects that we could certainly talk about. There's there's you know politics and you know you could certainly go into the the rights and wrongs of of uh, the way that that China operates. Um, certainly economically, they uh, they've they've made some you know some pretty big leaps over the last few years that. Yeah, you know, and yeah, I don't want to get too 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 deep into into politics because you know there's a whole lot there, and and I don't have all the all the facts on it. Um, but in terms of if you just are measuring by the if you were just measuring by the numbers and and you can't, um, they're certainly in a you know in a in a very very different place to where they were uh, a few years ago. If you uh, zoom into uh, Huawei as a as a uh, company, I would say right now um, the way they've the way they've got to this point with this massive growth curve has got a whole combination of you know of factors to it. I don't think you know right now that theirs are the best smartphones on the market, but in terms of you know bang for buck, which is you know what they've focused on and having some you know some very nice premium phones uh, they seem to be they seem to be getting quite a good mix uh, but I think there, there's there's you know there's there's room to go in that space but what I was left sort of convinced of today and Tristram you mentioned the four and a half billion dollars that they put into research and development and uh, we went to one of was it one of 16 uh, R&D centers that they have around the world. Uh, one of those we went to was in uh, Shanghai, and there were what something like thirteen thousand uh, people within this one um, R&D center. So it's and and I heard varying figures around what percentage of their people are actually involved in research and development, uh, but m- most of them seem to be. North of fifty percent. I'm not sure. I've ended up with a final figure that was accurate because I heard a heard a few different um, figures. But with with you know such uh, huge huge investment, certainly people wise, uh, you can imagine that their their products are only going to uh, only going to get better. And look, right now they've got very nice looking phones. Uh, I was doing a bit of video earlier that uh, seemed to uh, handle better and you know at night time uh, on the um, 
uh, on the Huawei Mate 10 Pro than what I was getting out of the iPhone X. In my uh, other other examples that I've tried, the iPhone X you know, definitely land at the forefront. And I, you know, I've generally generally felt that you know the the Samsung, uh, their you know their top of the line phones are delivering a better result. Um, and you know, they I think um, yeah, we we don't have wireless charging that uh, is there now in the the other brands, waterproof and dustproof. That's starting to come through in these newest handsets. Not quite to the same level of uh, of the competition, but to me, it seems like. The, you know those sorts of things. We won't be too many years away, and I wouldn't wouldn't be surprised if we see you know Huawei coming out with, with with a phone that gets held up in the same esteem as an Apple product or or a Samsung product does does today. Whereas you know I don't think they're quite there yet. Absolutely. I mean, you, you talk about the reasons for their success. I mean, that, that fixation on fixation with the product is something we heard a lot of, a lot about, right? I mean, you mentioned it through the R&D. In fact, I'm, I'm not sure if this is correct, but I heard 70% of the... I did hear that figure that's too. a very yeah, high percentage of people involved in R&D. And clearly, yeah. Mr. Ren, the president who set up the company 30 years ago to this year, um, has always been about the product. I mean, there's great stories of them sleeping under their desks at night because they had to finish some projects. So this is the kind of ethos this is the 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 where the, the situation the, com- the company's coming from originally. But just because you mentioned politics, and I agree we shouldn't go down that, we don't need to go down that road too much, I think it's important to point out here, because just before I came back in New Zealand, there was some suggestion that it was all a bit murky. Did they have, uh, was some of their success um, because of, you know, they were aligned in some way politically with the, the, the Chinese Communist Party? And, and for a while, we've all been quite open about that and asked quite a few questions, and I think the answer's been very clear. On the contrary, this is a private company. It always has been. In fact, a lot of what they've done is despite the um, the, the ruling party, uh, they certainly doesn't appear to have got any assistance at all. So whatever the political situation or the lack of democracy perhaps in this country, I don't think that it's doesn't seem to have had a bearing on this company's success. I mean, they've just operated in a as a private entity and got on with the job. And in fact, they've done it in the face of being banned from being a a carrier in the US, right? I mean, obviously they can sell their handsets, but they haven't been able to get involved with the... the, the carrying business, the distribution business. So, you know, they, they've done that without with that with that um, handicap in the US. So, I, I think their success is fair, and I think it does mm. come back to that fixation on the product and the quality of the product, and you know, just very good market research by the thing, by the sounds of things. It will, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see if they can, you know, shake off this thing of sort of being a, an underdog and a challenger brand, if they got to number one, whether that's something that they would be able to hold on to. Um, one of the stories we heard today was around how they kind of got, got started. And mobile, you know, I mean, China is, is just such a massive country. You know, we know there's, you know, well north of, uh, of a billion uh, people here. And in those earlier days, going back 30 years, they they were able to, to get moving up against the, the big networking firms of the day uh, to, a, to a degree by going in and selling into the sort of smaller um, regions that maybe weren't of too much uh, interest to those bigger, uh, those bigger firms from around the world and outside of China. And in order to, to do that, especially, you know, they started off with that, that small amount of capital, uh, you know, I'm picking that they, uh, they had to be pretty innovative, actually, at those times, and they had to come up with, um, you know, low-cost solutions. And, and that, uh, you know, appears to be a heritage that's, uh, that, that's carried through. But and, and also courageous, because they were going into countries, some of the examples they mentioned on this topic were they went into countries that there were war zones, where there was malaria outbreaks, um, more recently um, the Egypt Spring. So a lot of those Western companies obviously concerned about their employees' safety. They were pulling out their employees, and in quite a courageous slash gung-ho way, this company was going into those regions, Japanese earthquake. 
awake. Um, again, all the Westerners were being pulled out. These guys were going in to keep those networks up. I mean, they, 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 I mean, again, obviously, how much of this is PR and how much we've been sucked in. But I, I don't sense that. I do sense they are really rigorous and ruthless about doing the best job. And if they say they're going to maintain the communication lines and earthquake struck Japan, they will do it. And, um, and you know, some very courageous and brave and obviously clearly skilled engineers got into these countries and made it happen. I, th- I think that's a, you know, that's a also helped in those early days getting on their feet because they were in there going mm. to countries the others didn't want to and getting the networks up. And then as they come out of their crises, perhaps they stayed on. Mm. Well, I, I mean, it certainly whet my appetite. I'm really interested to, to dive in a bit deeper and learn, learn more around how they've, you know, how they've actually achieved the success that, that they've already achieved to date. And, uh, you know, what are, what are the techniques that, uh, that have allowed them to, um, uh, to, to grow so well? And, uh, yeah, a bit more into, the, into that backstory. So, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to filling in the gaps. Uh, there, there isn't, I guess, that much that we tend to, uh, we tend to hear about, uh, you know, Chinese companies. You know, I guess the other, the other one that, that we know a fair bit about, uh, is Alibaba. And, the, you know, there's been a fair chunk, uh, written about them. They've got a, 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 a market cap on, you know, stock exchange, which is, is actually very similar to uh, to Amazon, although you know, being New Zealand being a Western uh, Western country, we hear much much more uh, about Amazon and and through the tech uh, type channels. But uh, for me, I'm I'm left wanting to to know really a lot more around what's going on uh, in China and uh, you know. What is it that is uh, is is helping them, uh, you know, do so well with, uh, you know, at this stage, I guess, a handful of companies that we know about, but there mu- there must be many, many more behind uh, behind the scenes. And, but, but, uh, but a lot of them, like Alibaba, that's primarily inward looking. I mean, they they're a massive company because they do well in China, right? I think what struck me, Huawei, is outward looking. Um, it was still, 70 percent of their business is outside China. Yes, yeah. that's, that's vitally important, isn't it? Because a lot of these other Massive Chinese companies. They're massive because of the 1.3 billion consumers they have on their doorstep. Again, Huawei seems to break that mold. They're outward looking. They're, they're selling to the rest of the world. 60, 60%, I think it was, uh, their business is outside of China. And I, I think that's pretty interesting. Yeah. Uh, Scott, any other thoughts you wanted to uh, throw in before we, uh, before we wrap up? Or um, you know, have you been uh, have you been well well sold to over these last few days? Oh, I, don't, I like to think I'm a cynical old bugger these days, so I I kind of tend to look at anything with, with a bit of a sideways glance. But you know, at, at face value, what what I've seen um, it's it's impressed me. It's kind of reassured me in some ways. Um, I've always had um, a, a Respect for the products that they've been producing over the last few years. They get better and better with each iteration. So, you know, what I've, what I've seen here is, especially that trip to the, the um, P10 production line t- today, that was, that was a real eye-opener. I've been on a few factory tours as well and seen, seen these things in action, but that, that really opened my eyes as to the, the kind of labor that goes into these building, the building of these phones and, um, yeah. I, I certainly wouldn't bet against Huawei in the future. Um, I'd like to see, it's, it's always good to have a third challenger in these kinds of situations as, as the people at the, the, you know, the end of the line, which is us, the ones buying the phones, um, it's always good to have more competition from, from that point of view. Otherwise you get big fat incumbents sitting at the top of the food chain and uh, then you end up with you know bloated products and overpriced gadgets and people just buying because they've always bought that. So yeah. I think that the, the, more, the more players there are in this market, the better. And if Huawei has to play that role... In what, in what way great. did that production line impress you? It's the first time I've seen a production line like that, and I was, I was also impressed. But you've seen others. In what way did that one impress or different from the others you've seen? Um, I, for a start, the, the, the amount of people on it was... Far fewer than I am than I imagined. When I walked into that room, it's a massive room, and you know we we 
we walked down the length of one production line and what was it 150 200 meters long and there were dozens of lines just like these sitting next to it um, but the amount of people wasn't that great and a lot of the other production lines I've seen have been quite labor intensive you know there's a lot of people sitting there at, at desks and actually no one was sitting at these ones they're all standing um, but that was probably the the most surprising thing for me other than the fact that I saw that when you you walk out at one end of the production line yeah there's this there's nothing there's machines there with little bits of plastic being run into them fed off these rolls of something and circuit boards with nothing on them and then as you progress down the line you get to the very end and there's a shrink wrapped box with the phone in it at the other end complete with the software for the whatever carrier that particular batch is going to that was cool i really enjoyed seeing that yeah, yeah and and even to the point where they got you know when there were then were when there were 10 phones they were put into a cardboard box that was closed up and sealed that had all its serial numbers and stickers put on the box and uh, there were these robot vehicles and you know anyone that's seen a uh, say a, a, a video of a Amazon warehouse and those sorts of things will have seen these things that that just move around and you know of course I did my usual let's test out the technology and stand in front of this robot and you know see what it does and then jump out of the way and jump back in and you know a bit of, a bit of shenanigans to uh, you know just uh, see but uh, you know just all worked very very well and uh, the robot came along and uh, you know once there were uh, uh, you know sufficient boxes for it to uh, fill up they went off one you know conveyor belt sort of rollers onto uh, and rolled onto the to robot and then you know wandered off to the uh, to the next part and uh, you know no doubt heading in the direction of a shipping container or whatever was uh, required next. I mean, there, there really were so many fascinating aspects, I think, of what we've seen uh, over the last few days and we you know, haven't even gone into the, the you know, testing areas we saw, which, which I'm sure probably ha- be very similar across um, other smartphone manufacturers, but it was just fascinating to see it. Nobody else has, has said, Paul, hey, would you like to come and, and see how we do this, how we do this testing and so on. So, um, look, you know, very, very appreciative to uh, yeah, Huawei for um, yeah, creating that opportunity. And, uh, you know, I'm just really looking forward to filling in a few more, few more gaps. Anything uh, close, closing oh, there, Tristram? Just the two little stories, both involve you, actually. Um, when oh, you, when no. you were standing in front no. of the robots, I, I love the way the robot, in no uncertain to- to- terms, it was in Chinese clearly, but told you just get the bugger off, get the hell egg out of my way. <laughs> I love the way that you can always hear in that, in that robotic Chinese uh, voice the, the annoyance of you standing in his way, preventing it from doing his job. But you also mentioned the um, It the didn't me, though. It didn't. Yeah, it was, it was courteous. That, that was it still on. knows who the master is, <laughs> and the and the other ones you mentioned the testing and um these so the these these tests involved obviously um various drop tests um some of which the 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 machine actively threw it into a marble slab very very hard surface at, oh, at yeah. a heck of a speed impressive to watch quite heartbreaking actually it's about the sort of modern equivalent of fingernails on a on a blackboard seeing a, a smartphone being dropped intentionally or thrown hard thrown, intentionally. Yeah. Yeah. Onto a marble surface, that was quite heartbreaking. But um, yeah, and then they they various swivel swiveling the cords and inserting it into the uh, yeah, inputs and yeah, just testing every aspect of it in a, in a physical log- logistical way. But of course, I think all our favourites was the um, the. Uh, the phone in the back pocket of your jeans test. That's um, right. So they simulated this machine where you ins- there was a phone in a pocket in some denim, and then a big weight came down right in the middle of the phone and sort of tried to snap it in half repeatedly. Yeah, we're talking <laughs> two, three, four, five hundred times this weight would come down upon this phone in the in the uh, fabric pocket. Uh, a great test, uh, a the thing butt of joy. Test. The virtual butt test. Yeah, definitely. They were, they were my two highlights. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's uh, it's been a lot of fun. Well, um, thank you very much, uh, Scott Bartley and uh, Tristram Clayton for uh, for joining me. Now, 
where's the best place to uh, to track you guys uh, down online or to keep up to date with um, uh, with what you're publishing? Scott, I'm presuming uh, MBR is sort of the, the main place to, to look out for some of your reviews. Are you sort of on social media as well at all? Well, <laughs> yeah, mbr.co.nz is where the reviews end up. But uh, I've kind of abandoned my Twitter account, you know? I haven't used it for a while. It's, I should probably resurrect it at some stage. I, I, I post a few cycling photos on my Instagram account, which is at Peddling Kiwi, if anyone wants to follow me there. Otherwise, at Scott Bartley on Twitter, if you can, if you want to check out a basically dead Twitter account. Cool. Do you, do you publish anything around sort of cycling tech? We've actually got a review coming up on um, uh, one of the, the Garmin GPS sort of units. Is it being a cyclist, have you sort of uh, looked at some of that gadgetry and write about it? Yeah, I've got, my bike is bristling with gadgets. It's, I never leave the house without at least three different forms of GPS and at least four Bluetooth connections going. It's, it's, some cyclists look at me like I'm insane, but I like it that way. Oh, well, maybe we'll have to look at a, a, a special episode on on that um, when when you're in Auckland, some stage over the over the next little while could be uh, could be a bit of fun. And uh, Trish Durham, you're um, uh, pretty easy to uh, to track down, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's nice to be asked that question. I don't, don't really get asked it very often because I'm just the Herald and our stuff will pop up where the where the video site on the Herald. I mean, you know, keep keep looking at the Herald um, website. I've only been there for a year and a half, but it's it's an impressive um, impressive spot for all the criticism we get. We're a big player, so we're just going to suck that up. That's absolutely fair. A lot of the criticism we get, but yeah, you know, I've also been. Yeah, really thoroughly reassured about the quality of the investigative journalism that goes on at the Herald as well. So, yep, there's a bit of clickbait, but there's also the click there's some awesome investigations on going on there. Some really wonderful, dedicated um, reporters. I, I've been really, really impressed. It's, it's been a, it's been a, a joy to behold. Actually, um, our stuff. I mean, we're Herald Focus. There is a tab. I think it's under the the national tab on the side of the Herald Focus. But it's all a bit tricky, isn't it? But anyway, the videos pop up. Check it out there. Um, me personally, um, I think I'm at at Tris Clayton, T-R-I-S Clayton at, um, on Instagram and, um, and Twitter. But um, Tris from Clayton NZ is my Facebook one, and I do put just a, a summary of some of the top stories we do there. So that's, that's not a bad one if you want to see some of the, of the good, um, of the good uh, you know, two, three, four-minute packages or interviews. Um, we did a great one with Brian Cox the other day that went gangbusters, a fascinating man, and uh, it was an 11-minute interview, and you know, normally we, our videos have to be cut down to about two or three, but I got so, such heavy demand for this incredible interview with Professor Brian Cox about black holes and uh, you know, the, the, the Big Bang and what, what, what preceded the Big Bang. Yes, he answered it and gave an incredible answer. Um, it was all there, so we put the whole 11, 11 minutes up online, so bits and pieces like that, some of the highlights. We, we put together on the on, on the show go on to onto my Facebook yeah Tristan Clayton NZ yeah well I mean I I have to you know back up the quality of journalism because uh, you know you interviewed me uh, you know so, so, some weeks back around around Sky so you know when you're making when you're making those sort of calls you know I you know I've, I've got to say wow it's, uh, it's top notch stuff uh, but but um, yeah <laughs> seriously folks thanks very much for uh, for joining us again uh, this week on this episode and uh, we'll be back again we've got a couple of interesting guests lined up for uh, for next week on the show you can track me down uh, through the usual uh, social media uh, channels for me that's uh, that, that's Twitter and, and Facebook and, uh, and LinkedIn and I'll have some new videos coming online again soon alright thanks everyone catch you soon bye The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.